Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, church. It's, it's nice to have people live from all over and to have videos from people all over. And we love that. So send us your videos. We would love to have them. Um, if you don't know how, send me a note at info at rsafeharbor.com and we'll show you how that's done step by step. I say we, I'm not going to show you. The people who know how will show you uh, how to get you to, the, you know, you need people with actual skill sets. Uh, Jesus is our friend. We've heard many sermons on that. We've heard many sermons on Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our redeemer. All of these things are true. But it's very, very hard in the Western world in particular, and I would say even more so in America than in most places, to talk about Jesus as Lord and King. Because we have this kind of concept of what a king is in this country, but even if you're in Europe, you know the kings are rather defanged. You know, they are symbols. They, they will do certain procedures and it'll be very, you know, tourists will come look at them, but there's not a lot of power. Kings have absolute power in the time of Jesus. If you have any, you don't really know what that looks like, then maybe study the life of Herod and you'll see what absolute power can do. Absolute evil. And as a long time ago, some wags said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We look upon kings with great suspicion in this nation. And we're highly concerned about kings. Well, we need to understand Jesus is king. And all those things about absolute power are true. And we need to take the knee to our king Every day, it's, it's got to be absorbed, that concept, if our allegiance to Christ is to shine through our words, our thoughts, and our actions. And so Matthew 33 through 48, as was already read to you by Bill and Sharon, all of these things are in play here. I'm told by people who are supposed to know these things, that once upon a time, a man's word was his bond. And what they mean by that is, we didn't need any paper. We didn't need any contracts. We just did a handshake, said that'll do it. And we bought and sold all kinds of things. And I'm sure that worked until some of your kids or grandkids tried to prove that you actually owned the property. You know, so I'm not really sure how far to take that a man's bond, a word is his bond. It's always best to get things on paper. And the answer, I've been asked this many times in my life, should I get a lawyer? If you are asking that question, the answer is yes. Yeah, you should. If there's any question, yes, get one. In Jesus' time, you didn't want it to get to the judge. Because judging back then was in the same way here in many times, many places. Whoever has the most power, the best lawyers, and the most money wins the case. We know that. We know that if you do not, in America, by the way, when they arrest somebody, they have to read them their rights. They call them Miranda rights because of a, a, a case that went before the Supreme Court. 
And part of that is if you do not have, you can't afford a lawyer, one will be you know, supplied to you. Well, the problem is they may not work real hard for you. They don't know you. They're getting public defender pay. You, what, the other guy walks in with six high-class Manhattan lawyers. Who's going to win the case? We know how this works. But even back then, that's the way it worked. And so Jesus told us a rather odd story in Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. And that is a widow approaches a judge. Now, when you said widow in the time of Jesus, it was assumed you meant poor, without power, without any position. Because her husband was gone. He was dead. And she is not living with her father anymore. So she doesn't, she's not a part of the father's household. She's coming to you with no standing and no ability to enrich you or make you a more powerful, well-loved judge. And so he says, when the widow goes up and she presents her case and the judge refuses to listen to it, he said, she goes back and she goes back and she goes back until finally, just to get rid of her, the judge finds in her favor. Now, why is that an odd passage? Because he said, so when you pray, he's, he's kind of like saying, I know my father, <clears throat> pester him, do not stop. Even if you have no position or power, keep hammering the gates of heaven until you're, either God will change you or it'll be answered. Because uh, it, if nothing else, just to get you quiet. Now, I don't think God's up there going, all right, I'm going to give them what they want just because they're bothering me. Jesus is using a human situation to show us the value of persistence. Keep going back. A lot of this sounds very strange to us, this persistence, but also this don't swear. It used to be <clears throat> that some churches, and a tribe I was raised in was one of them, that when they were in a court setting and they were told to raise their hand, and back then you'd put your other hand on a Bible, they don't do that anymore uh, in most places, so your hand goes up and they would say, um, you know, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And by the way, they've dropped the so help you God as well in almost every jurisdiction. So do you swear this particular tribe, as well as others in particularly the Anabaptist tradition? So think of uh, Churches of Christ, but also Mennonites, Amish, and the like, would say, I affirm. Because God here says, don't swear. I have asked many people over the years, what's the difference between swear and affirm? And nobody could give me an answer. I said, oh, we're doing, <clears throat> you know, what? this is a synonym. Um, so I don't think God was telling us we can't swear. He's telling you, watch out. They were cheating. They were saying, you know, I swear by the temple. And then something would happen and they'd go, well, I didn't swear by the gold in the temple. They were looking for loopholes. That's the whole point here. He's saying, do not look for loopholes. Do not be a person that it is necessary for you to swear by your mother. We don't even know if you like your mother. You know, I swear on my mother's life. Ah, I need to know more about the you know, relationship. How many people have looked at me, and I've been around a lot of police officers when they're talking to police officers, and they'll say, you have to believe me. Seriously? I have the feeling that's optional. I don't think we have to believe you. I'm telling you, I swear, Jesus says, don't do that. Be the kind of person that when you say yes, 
you mean yes. When you mean no, you mean no. Don't take it any further. Now, that's going to take a while for you to develop that kind of reputation. But be the kind of person that you don't have to back it up. You know, my grandsons went through that period of uh, what happens if somebody breaks in your house? And I said, it'll be fine. No, well, no, they want details. I just kept saying, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And finally, the, I think he was six years old at the time, turned to his older grand, uh, brothers and just said, listen, he's trained for that. And I thought, all right, all right, thank you, Ollie, for explaining me. I just, I didn't want to have to go into details because what happens when you do details? We have locks on our doors. What about the windows? We have locks on the windows. What if they break the window? You see what I mean? God says, just be yes and no people. That when you say yes, they got it. No, they get it. And what does that mean when he says, if you go beyond that, it's of the evil one? The more words you say, the more you are exposing targets. Now, tomorrow, for example, just to give you a heads up, if you're watching this on the Sunday where we are actually broadcasting, the Monday morning message will not be a 15-minute message. It runs an hour, and four, an hour and 50 minutes because we had so many people. It was very encouraging, by the way. We didn't get any attacks. Very encouraging about last Sunday's sermon where we talked about what adultery meant then, what fornication meant then, and the law of marriage and divorce, that they wanted a whole bunch more. So I put up on Facebook, I said, should I do this in a series of Monday morning messages should I do it in a sermon or should I do a long form video? Monday morning and long form got tons of votes. Sermon, just a few. I was a little hurt, no problem. <clears throat> I'm moving on. <clears throat> so what I did was I did a Solomon thing and cut the baby. So we're, going to, we're dumping a, a long form video tomorrow with all the details. And then near the end of September, 1st of October, we're going to do two or three shorter, simpler looks at it all right so we're going to do it both ways so look at that tomorrow regardless if if you if you're watching our videos by the way we always like to know so let us know this yes and no business the more you speak the more you're a target now this may be one of the reasons why jesus well god through um through paul warned us that let not many of you be teachers for they will receive the greater condemnation and we, I've always thought of that as off-site uh, condemnation. In other words, I've blown it. I've led people wrong. I, I get up on judgment day and find out God's quite perturbed about some things I've said. But actually, you don't have to wait because you'll get more condemnation down here too. The more you talk, the only person that doesn't get criticized is a person that never puts their head above the parapet, but stays hunkered down and quiet. So just say yes. Just say no as much as you can. And leave it there. Let me give you another example. Uh, I've used this example before. So let me just set this up by saying I like broccoli. In this story, I do not like broccoli. It is a story. Do not write me about broccoli. <clears throat> I'm aware of the health benefits of broccoli. I have never been driving. And my wife says, what would you like to have for dinner? And thought, craven broccoli. Um, for some, but broccoli is very good for you. And uh, I'm, it's a welcome addition to the plate. All right. Well, let's say it wasn't, and let's say that I had told Miss Cammie this several times, but for some reason, Miss Cammie wants me to stay alive longer, so she's insisting on putting nutritious things on my plate, which goes against all common sense, but she does. 
And so I come in, and she does make the meals. It's not sexist. It's just because she wants to eat food. Uh, I can't. I've tried, and the fire department has really asked us not to try that again. So she makes the meal. I do the dishes and clean up. So I sit down, and there's broccoli on my plate. Other items as well. Broccoli's not the star, but it's there. And I, what's the best thing to do? Best thing to do is eat it. If she goes, how do you like your meal? Which they shouldn't have to do. You should always thank people. But let's say that I'd forgotten. And she goes, how do you like your meal? And I say, thank you. It's really good. That's enough. If I go further and say, but you know I don't like broccoli. We've poisoned the rest of the evening, at least. If I go further and say, you're just like your mother. What have I done? What have I done? No, no. What have you done? Those words needed to stay inside. Those words did not need to come out. Jesus says, keep it simple and live to where when you say yes, it's yes. And when you say no, it's no. And God, by the way, does hold us to our vows. So we don't, shouldn't have to swear a vow. Think of the Gibeonites back in Joshua 9. The Gibeonites could follow a map. They saw where Israel was coming and they were defeating every foe and they could see that they were a dot on that line. So they decided to get ahead of this and play a trick on the Israelites. And so they dressed up in old worn out clothes. They got animals that looked very tired. And they had uh, cracked water skins and the like. And they come around to me, uh, the mountain and go, oh, there you are. Hi, we've come from a very, very, very far place. It's far, it's far. Uh, you've never heard of it because it's, it's really far. Um, and, and you'll never get there because we, we may have mentioned it's quite far. Um, and, but if you do, if ever for some, I have no idea how you'd get that far. But if you did, uh, please don't kill us. And the Israelites looked at each other and went, okay, and gave their, their word. They weren't supposed to, by the way. God said, don't make treaties with the people you meet, but they did. Well, Israelites move forward a few hundred yards and there's the Gibeonites. And they weren't allowed to kill him. God said, no, you promised. Generations later, an Israelite killed a Gibeonite. And they required the Israelite to be put to death. Because Israel had made their word. They had said yes. If you say yes, you mean yes. If you say no, you mean no. God takes what we say very, very seriously. But here... Again, Jesus is calling us to do something much more difficult than just saying yes or no. He's calling us to live an honorable life so that we don't have to insist upon our innocence, pile oath upon oath, simply speak. If I may give you advice, I think one of the greatest things, what skills a human being can have is to learn how to simply speak. Do not offend do not defend, merely speak. We leap into defensiveness. We leap into offensiveness, piling up our, our, um, our evidence that we are correct. No, just speak. You're not in charge of the universe. You're not in charge of the future. No need for grandiose statements. Merely say yes or no. The world hates that. They want detailed, precise, specific language from you about every opinion, fad, movement, or cultural concept. You don't have to play along. You just don't. If you like something, good. 
Two things. One, you don't have to tell people you like it. Two, if you do say you like it and somebody attacks you for that, you don't have to respond at all. I never watched a basketball game until my grandson started playing it. I still don't watch the NBA. I have friends that live and die by the NBA. And they invited me once when we first, no, we hadn't first come back to the States. This is our second work in, in West Virginia. And they said, would you, uh, you know, we're all watching. And I said, that's really nice. I, I wasn't aware that they, I wanted them to actually push me. And, and if they didn't, then I could say they didn't. They said, no, we'd like for you to come too. And I was going, you know something, basketball's not my thing really. And they acted as if I'd slapped their mother. It was like, how could you? Well, I said, and I, I stood up after a while and I said, um, look, look at how tall I am. Um, in, in Scotland, this is normal. Uh, we don't have a lot of basketball teams, as in none. But um, they, they seemed hurt. I remember a young lady that I dated only a few times and her parents wanted, they really liked me evidently. She invited me to the house and they wanted me to really understand their family and what they're into. And I, I kid you not, they sat me down on the couch and they started playing opera. Yeah. Now, for all you people who love opera, I am very certain that's hard to do. Not the loving, the opera. I'm, pretty, I'm sure it's hard to sing in Italian and to sing that high, that low, that tremolo, whatever it is. That's complex stuff. Whoever wrote that stuff, kudos to them. And whoever does it, amazing. I'm not interested. To be, because to me, actually, it sounds like someone's being harmed. And, and I'm wondering, why are we sitting here? Why are, we, why are we not grabbing tools and rushing the theater to protect that large woman? But I, whenever I said, that's not really my thing, it was over. The relationship was done. Fair enough. I'm, every time I bring up that I don't care for jazz, I get emails. I know it's complex. I know it's amazing. But to me, it sounds like five stone guys practicing scales. That's it. So enjoy it. Buy it. Make those people rich. Go to the concerts. But why is it that when somebody doesn't share what you think or feel about something, we take it as a personal attack? There's no need for that. I, I love it that when our three grandsons that live locally come over to our house... Even if it's just a hot dog, they all want it done in a different way. We do it. Why? Because they like it that way. Why do they want it done different? To be honest, it doesn't affect the taste. It's all about not being the other kid. Sure, you can differentiate yourself. We have one of our grandsons doesn't like ketchup. I don't understand why you can't like ketchup. In Scotland, that's a vegetable. Uh, maybe the only one you're going to see, except for potatoes, after we fried the life out of them. But if he doesn't like it, I'm cool with it. I don't ask him why. We can just say our word without trying to attack or change. You see, here's the thing. On this, if you don't have Jesus as king on this earth, you are hunting for justice, ven vengeance, and for uh, affirmation. That you're good, you're right, and that person's wrong. If you don't have a king, you walk around with your fist constantly clenched. Do you not? The world is. 
with, they used to, I would, we'd say chipped on your shoulder, but that's not used very much anymore. I'm told back in the old, I think it only in America, they'd put a little thing on the shoulder and say, if you knock that off, we're fighting. I'm, I'm just thinking, you, they're in range. Why would you do that? You know, so you ought to throw it out there and say, if you step on that, I'm running. But, you know, th- you're, they're walking around, chips on their so- shoulders. If you, noses are already in their air, the, their hearts are ready to strike and judge. We may not join them. Our king has ordered us to leave all of that to him. He will take care of vengeance. He will take care of justice. We are not violent with our words, with our bodies, or with our intentions. In Matthew 38 through 42, that eye for an eye thing, you probably heard it said that Gandhi said, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Um, First of all, Gandhi didn't say it. We can find no record he ever said it. There's one biographer that said he said it. That's it. But whoever said it didn't understand the old law. Back then, if you ignored a king, they could kill you. If you hit a member of the upper class, they could take your arm. And in God's economy, no. Justice is equal. If you stole 3,000, pay back 3,000. If you hit a guy and they lost an eye, you lose an eye. But you don't lose your life. Your kids aren't sold into slavery. It was a matter of social leveling to where everybody got justice fairly. Nobody got more than the other. And it made a lot of sense in that day and time. And it only really works in a homogenous nation that is uh, small and easily governed. But it kept the rich and poor in check. You hit, you hit um, well, for example, if, if, if I hit a billionaire... I'm going to be in a lot more trouble than if I hit one of you. I'm assuming we don't have a big billionaire demo. Um, And we all know why. Power. God says no power games among you. We don't do that. In our society, there are lawsuits that award millions of dollars. And people who take a slap or an insult as a mortal threat. And they, they react accordingly. Christians are not to be like that. If we are in obedience to our king, our response is one of love and service and a simple yes or a simple no. If we believe our king is right, uh, can we agree with that? I know we do have some atheists that watch and we really love them. uh, And every time they've written to me, by the way, it's been extremely respectful and kind. Um, But for the rest of us who are Christians, who understand who Jesus is, we all agree that he is right. He is wise. He is good. He knows what he's doing. Well, then this next bit about loving your enemies and what reward will you get and all the other, this next bit makes a bit more sense. We can free ourselves. Listen carefully. We can free ourselves from the burden of always having to be right and always having to be seen to be right. And always judging those who aren't. That's exhausting. I think I've told this story before here. I know I've told it before. We first came back to America. We lived in Ohio for a while. And Ohio is one of the 15 states that have the largest state fair in America. Every every state seems to think they do. So I didn't count. So it's in the middle of summer. And it's held in this massive fairgrounds in Columbus that's asphalt. So the heat 
coming up. And that's what you want when you come right in from Scotland, let me tell you. So we were already, you know, wondering about this. So we're on the way up, and we decided to go through a drive-thru and uh, get something to drink. And as we did, there was a lady that was walking by, and the lady was not wearing an appropriate amount of clothing. I'll give you that, right? But one of the fellows in the car was a preacher. And, a, you know, not a minister, not a pastor. He was a preacher. And he said, oh, there's people like this, and they're just wearing it, and just kept going. I thought, I thought he'd run out of steam after a couple sentences. No, he had more. And finally, about five, six miles up the road, I said, you realize we're going to a state fair in basically the temperature of the surface of the sun, and not everybody there is going to be a member of your church. You're going to see a whole lot more flesh than you were really wanting to. I think they have eye bleach in section F, but wherever you're going to see this, can we just go to the fair instead of walking around being offended? Well, that offended him. <laughs> and I learned a lesson. You don't need to correct him because that's their identity. Walking around saying what's right and wrong. No, I'm sorry. That's God's identity. I have a king. He'll sort that out. My job's not to judge, and I don't have the burden of always being right. I can be wrong. The old TV show Happy Days had an episode where the Fonz had to say he was sorry, and he couldn't do it. He kept going, I'm sorry, and he couldn't. And it was funny because it's just a silly show. We ought to be able to say sorry pretty fast. Oh, I was wrong. Oh, that one's on me. You don't have to go further. I'm an idiot. My children are idiots. We should no longer be in this polite society. You don't have to do that. Yes and no. And then he goes further and tells us expressly that we have to love people that don't love us back. And we have to feed people who will not feed us in return. I had only been in Tennessee for a bit when a friend invited me to go play golf with him. And I thought that was very nice. Went out and he bought my round which doesn't always happen and shouldn't always happen. But I said, well, thank you. And I, that, we're about done with the round. And I said, next time, I'll buy your round. And he looked at me and he goes, Patrick, don't steal my joy. And being, I had no clue what he was talking about. You know, to me, saving money, I hear bagpipes in the distance. I'm having a great day. And there's a guy saying no. And it actually took me about 30 seconds to 40 seconds to process it. And I went, yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, thank you. Just merely thank the person. Well, again, love the person who doesn't love you back. Don't do things for the return. Do them good because if you just do good stuff to be liked by your group, as Sharon read, even the pagans do that. What do you do different than them? And a word, as we, as we begin to land this plane, this is not a complicated one. This is one of those sermons that's easy to understand, brutally hard to put into effect. So before we landed, a word about that word perfect in verse 48. That's a tough word to translate directly into English. A lot of, a lot of translations just, you, you really can't translate a concept. But it means to be complete, whole, integrated, without contradiction. And, and if I could put it this way, it means believe what our king is saying and live what you believe. That's what perfection is. Integrity, where all the parts of you fit. I believe we have a king. 
I believe what our king is saying. I will live in accordance with what the king says. Then when you live what you say you believe, you are integrated. You have integrity. You are, in this word, complete. By the way, this is not an event. This is a lifelong journey. And it won't be easy. But it is required. And then the first four verses of Matthew 6, we're just going to hit that fast. We're going to also look at it a wee bit next week. <clears throat> it's not complicated. Don't do good stuff so that people see your good stuff and think you're wonderful. You know, have you ever driven by and there's a police officer there? You slow down to the speed limit. You exaggeratedly don't have a phone in your hand. You put on the blinker a mile and a half before you turn. You know, things like this. You want them to pull you over and give you a good citizen award, something like this. that. Now, that's a good driver. You want him to show that camera footage to the next people. Don't do good to be seen. Don't announce every good thing you're doing. Let God be the witness. By the way, some people have even taken this passage and made it a burden. So whenever church people are saying, can we you know, get together and understand how much money is going to come in so that we can do this? People say, no, I'm not allowed to tell anybody that I give because of this passage. No, you are mistaking the way we use human language with hyperbole and synecdoche for law. Jesus isn't talking to lawyers. He's talking to people. He said, don't announce what you're doing. Just do it. When Tammy is up here with me and we're talking about the prisoners, it's not so that you write in and say, you are such wonderful people. It is to say, if you would like to help us, great, but look at what God is doing. We also want you to pray for them. Especially, I'm just going to say, those on death row. Because they, they haven't used the death penalty in a long time, but there's an election coming up, and the guy that looks like he's going to win it says he wants to do it a lot. So pray about them. Pray about these people. I won't tell you what to think. I'll just tell you to pray. Be a good person, even if nobody ever sees, ever cares, or ever gives you the credit. People often say Reagan said it, but I really think it was around before him, that imagine how much good could be done in the world if nobody worried about who got the credit. Just do good. Well, we have our marching orders. Come on up, Holly. We have the rules for our lives. Now, let's work on them. By the way, if you catch one of us not living by them, don't bring it up. Let God be the judge. Isn't that simple? Now, I need to move this over. I'm so glad to have Holly here. John is helping us with our, our tech and we love John. John and Holly, I've never said this to them actually. When I left Rochester, Michigan to head west for a couple of years, I, that was hard because we adored those people and still do. But leaving John and Holly was one of the hardest parts because I've told John since day one, I've always wanted to work with you. And one of these days I want to work with you. Every now and then, he, we can get him down from, you know, the great, greater Detroit area, which is, you know, it's, it's glitter, it's glam, it's, it's hard to get people out of there. Um, but we love it when you come down. It's wonderful. 